right, team. Welcome to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and we have a different guest today. Somebody that I find interesting and has a very, I, I guess, sort of different perspective than maybe I would normally have on the show. But I think it's important to have varying degrees of perspectives, you know, so we're not all caught in the sort of same bubble and echo chamber that we can sometimes get into. And so joining me today is Rabbi Manus Friedman. Rabbi Manus Friedman is a world-renowned author, counselor, lecturer, philosopher, and he combines ancient Torah wisdom with modern wit to captivate audiences around the world. He hosts his own critically acclaimed cable TV series. He has done a tremendous amount of work to write books, to help couples, he co-wrote a book called Creating a Life That Matters, and he has lived a very interesting life. He was born in Prague in Czechoslovakia in 1946 and immigrated to the U.S. in 1950. Uh, he has held speaking tours around the world, Israel, England, Netherlands, South Africa, Australia, Brazil, Venezuela, Peru, Canada, Hong Kong, the whole, the whole works. Uh, so he really specializes in working with both uh, individuals and couples. And we talk a lot about his recent book and the ideas in it called The Joy of Intimacy. And he's obviously coming from a very, um, you know, s- sort of specific and, and religious background. And I think it's interesting to gain his perspective. He's got some really great ideas. Uh, and so I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Again, he's full of wisdom and uh, quite the character. And it was great to just have a bit of a conversation with him about, you know, inquiring about what does something like the Torah have to say about intimacy, about relationships, about marriage, and gain a bit of a different perspective on how some of the principles of intimacy, of successful relationships, really are cross-cultural, are really span across religions, across uh, political ideologies. And so this is just a great conversation. And I really enjoyed my time with him. And so I hope that you do as well. But without any further delay, please welcome Rabbi Manis Friedman. All right, Rabbi Friedman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. There is so much that needs to be discussed, needs to be don't even have a right to say no. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I must admit, in preparation for this conversation, I had to do a little bit of research. And um, yeah, you are my first rabbi to come on the show. Wow. And I've had many different types of guests over the years. But I've very much looked forward to this conversation. I actually just interviewed a psychologist who was of the Orthodox Jewish faith, which was a very interesting conversation. We, we talked a lot about, about sex and intimacy. He specialized in sexual psychology, which was interesting. So it was very much from the psychological lens, and, and I would love to go down the, the faith-based lens. So, But before we dive into any of that, as I do with all my guests, let's just begin by, uh, if you can, tell us a story about a defining moment in your life. Let's talk about a more recent story not to go back too far, a lot of marriage counseling over the years, about 60 years worth, and um, something very um, very unsettling suddenly appeared on the scene, and that is happily married couples who have no complaints about their marriage or about each other, which, of course, we would call a successful marriage, happily married. And yet, each of them, complains about feeling alone in the world. Alone. That is not supposed to happen. I mean, the first thing marriage is supposed to do is never leave you alone. (laughs) (laughs) You're not supposed to feel alone once you're married. So what, what is missing? What's going on? Because marriage, by the way, is the only solution to feeling alone. You can be close to your parents you're alone in the world. You can love your children and you're alone in the world. The only relationship that changes that is marriage. Hmm. If marriage isn't doing it, but will. Hmm. So I had to do a lot of hard thinking and I realized that the ingredient that is missing is called intimacy. And that in the 60s, 
society, men and women, agreed, I don't know who started it, but they both agreed, to have free love. It doesn't have to be so intense and it doesn't have to be so serious. It doesn't have to be emotional entanglement. Free love, casual, recreational sex. Mm. And that has found its way into marriages. So they really enjoy each other. They love each other's company. They love doing things together. They're just not married to each other. Mm. They're married to a lifestyle. So now this COVID business with, you know, with the lockdowns and with the uh, quarantines either caused people to realize since we can't go out together and we can't do anything, we can't go anywhere, I don't know why I'm married to you. Or the opposite. Now that we're not so busy doing stuff, I kind of like you. (laughs) I'm really glad I'm married to you. That's a revelation. So the result was I needed to write another book. So I wrote uh, The Joy of Intimacy, and that wasn't enough. So we came out with a book called Creating a Life That Matters. But basically the subject is you got to stop being alone. Mm. Yeah, I, I can't remember who, who said it, but there's a quote somewhere along the lines of maybe like the quote unquote worst kind of loneliness is feeling alone when you are with others. Yes. You know, there's a specific kind of experience that we as human beings have when we're around people that we love and care about or, you know, should know us so that we should feel the closest to, but then still feel disconnected. And I would, I would agree that that has become quite a bit more prominent, um, certainly within the last sort of decade. I think social media has certainly contributed to that notion where we kind of get external validation and, and you know, pseudo connection from other people. Why don't we just sort of define... Uh, terminology a little bit. I would love for you to create a bit of a description of how you define intimacy and when when you're working with people and and within this, you know, within the book that that you've written. Well, Billy Joel says it very well in The uh, Piano Man. The line goes, they're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. Mm. So there's loneliness and there's being alone which is much worse. Mm. Loneliness, you you go to a party, go to a bar, but then you come home and you realize you're not lonely, you're alone and your immune system crashes. It's really, it's a health hazard. We're not meant to be this way. Mm. So what is this element that is missing, this thing called intimacy? It's the ability that we have where two people can actually become one. But that happens if I'm welcoming you into my life and not things about you, not parts of you, not aspects of you, not something that we have in common or something that I appreciate. You. So a husband says, I love everything about my wife. Of course, he was lying, but that's besides the point. His wife wanted a divorce. I said, how is it that you love everything about her and yet she is so unhappy? You love everything about her, but do you love her? He says, what does that mean? What does that mean? Take all the things away. What's left? Your wife. What's left if you take all things away? The person you married. Mm. So here's, here's the shocker. Two things are destroying marriages, subtly or not so subtly. Love, love is destroying marriages because we end up being married to the love and not to the person. Mm -hmm. So if a man would say to a woman, I want to marry you for your money because she has money. Why is that so offensive? You have money. I like money. What's the problem? It's a match made in heaven. (laughs) It's offensive because it's a lie. I don't want to marry you for your money. I just want the money. Mm -hmm. In an ideal universe, you would just give me the money and, you know, without strings attached. But that's not going to happen. So I'm going to have to marry you for the money. It is so insulting. It's so degrading. Why is that any worse than marrying for love? 
I want to marry you for love. I love you. You love me. Love is everything. Love will keep us together. Love makes the world go round. That's it. So I'm marrying the love. And that's why if you're giving me love, I'm happy. Anything else you want to give me, that's not part of the deal. I'm sorry. I didn't marry you for your opinion. I didn't marry you for your moods. I didn't marry you for your needs. Just the love. And that's why if the love goes, there is nothing. Nothing. What are you doing in my house? Get out. Well, what about the rest of me? Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. No wonder they feel alone in the world. So how do we get to where we're marrying each other and not all the perks? Love is the worst of them. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think in, in if you look at modern day social media, just as an example, there's oftentimes that question of is love enough, right? Is love enough to keep a relationship together? Is love enough to keep a marriage together? And you sort of see all the memes floating around and comments and videos of you know, love should be enough for a relationship or, you know, love's not enough. And I think that that debate has probably waged for quite a while, but I I really appreciate the way you frame it because in some ways you could almost replace love and money or sex. Um, you could, you could interchange them, you know, depending on the individual and say, I'm, you know, I'm marrying you for the sex or I'm marrying you for the love. But I think the love <clears throat> is the interesting one because I think it's the thing that we believe is almost like we're entitled to when we enter into that pact, right? And then the love becomes the the thing that blocks us from seeing the other person, if I'm understanding you correctly, you know, that we don't actually get to witness the other person or accept the other person or understand the other person because our point of attention, our focus becomes so fixated on is the love there or is the love not there? You know, and that becomes, I think, what you're saying intimacy in most people's world is do I feel love or do I not feel love? And if you're acting in a way that maybe is unsavory to me or uh, I disagree with or maybe I don't like or brings up something in me, then I don't feel love towards you or from you. And therefore, intimacy is broken. Is that roughly accurate or what would you alter in there? Yeah, there was no intimacy there to begin with. Hmm. It's not you I want in my life. Mm. It's love or sex or money or, or security or whatever it is. So there are many perks to marriage, but you can't marry perks. You have to marry the person. <laughs> so love has become an idol. Literally, it is a false god mm. in the West. Love is the solution to everything. If there's a problem... We know what it is, not enough love. I mean, even socially, why can't we all just love each other? That is so absurd and so childish. Mm. Maybe we should stop shooting each other as a first step. Then we'll talk about love. First, recognize me as a human being. Yeah. And, and I don't need your love. So what is love, actually? To say love is important in life. That, that's Hollywood. That's hype. Love is not important any more than chocolate is. Everybody loves chocolate. Can't claim that it's important. What The way it works is like this. When someone is important in your life, you ought to love them. But it's not the love that creates the importance. Because that is so narcissistic. When I love you, you're important. And if I stop loving you, you're garbage. What, what, what kind of society is this? Mm. The whole thing is, is just toxic. My love makes you important. Why do we have to convince an 11-year-old boy that his brother is more important than his dog? He loves his dog. He doesn't love his brother. Yeah, I feel like a lot of siblings I, a lot of siblings relate to that one. <laughs> I asked this kid, I forget how old he was, 11, 12. I said, you come home from uh, Little League, you're holding a baseball bat, and your father and your dog are killing each other. They're fighting. Who are you going to hit? This boy says, well, it depends who started it. Mm. There is something wrong with this. Mm. 
So we're, we're, we're not even being natural anymore. Hmm. We made love a power in our lives, and it has no such power. Hmm. So when somebody is important, you ought to love him. If you don't love him, he's still important. And somebody who is not important in your life has no real function in your life, but you love him, he's still not important. That's a that's important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, I think that most couples, if they stay together long enough, they're going to experience a phase inevitably where it seems like the love goes missing, you know, in some capacity that they, one person or both of them can't sense it, can't feel it, can't connect to it, you know, the sort of projection of who the other person should be or needs to be in order for them to feel that connection to love dissipates. And that's usually when the couple sort of begins to question the relationship itself. Do you feel or do you believe most relationships will go through some iteration of that where the couple will evolve past I don't know if that's necessarily the right terminology, but I'll let you uh, say it the way that you want, but sort of evolve past this projection of love onto their person and what they expect them to be and move and transition into a space of seeing who they actually are. Must happen. You realize who you're married to. And if all you wanted was love, you got to get out of there. Mm. If you really want to be married to this person, suddenly you find yourself being intimate. Yeah, it seems like almost as though what you're saying is that we objectify the other person in some way. We turn them into an object of uh, a sort of like a, a resource that we need to extract something from, right? It's like, I need love from you. I need to extract that love from you. It's not about you and who you actually are, which might be closer to intimacy, I think is what you're saying, versus... Um, it's less relevant who you are so long as you act and behave and make decisions that get me the love that I need. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So pornography would mean I objectify you, I turn you into a sex object. Mm. Love means I turn you into a love object. Mm -hmm. mm. It's the same thing. And and you can, you can confuse one for the other. Mm -hmm. You can confuse love and sex or love and lust, or whatever it is. So you, you don't know, you certainly don't know who you're loving. Mm. Maybe you don't even know what you're loving. Yeah, Is it the love or is it the sex? But it, but it's a disaster. It really isn't. So recently a young couple uh, asked me if I would do their, their wedding for them. They want to get married because they're very much in love. I said, you love each other? They said, yes. I said, too late. <laughs> Now you can't get married because the only reason you're getting married is for love and you already have it. Mm. Let it be. Why do you want to marry? Yeah. So it's almost like, well, I'm curious. I, I want to ask one more question that I, I actually have something I really wanted to, to dig in with you on. Um, but it's almost as though what you're advocating for is a, a true endeavor to understand who that other person is, to see as much as you can in earnest, in honesty, and transparency about who that actually, who that other person actually is, because that's going to really determine the longevity of the relationship and the closeness of the intimacy, right? Yeah, maybe can you say more about that, whether that's accurate and what you would add? I, I would put it this way. Love is blind, and that's really bad, mm. <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> but relationships are blind, and that is wonderful. Hmm. Like parents don't see their children's faults, not because they love their kids, and not, certainly not romantic love. It's because you're mine, and I can't see anything wrong with me, so I can't see anything wrong with you. And even if I see something wrong with you, I don't care. You're mine. Same is true with marriage, even more so, actually. Marriage is the strongest relationship of, of all the relationships human beings are capable of. So you're mine, and I will find things I don't like about you, and I don't care. That's blind in a very healthy way. In other words, you're important to me, 
So don't leave, don't go away, don't, you know, don't shut me out because you're important to me. Are you perfect? No. I think the best example is our grandparents. There was no divorce. They were married to each other. It was real. And then people say, oh, yeah, but they were miserable. (laughs) They should have gotten divorced. No. They bickered and they argued and they disagreed about everything, but they would never give up each other. Hmm. We're doing the opposite. We don't want each other. We just want the things. So intimacy means a relationship beyond things. Sex is definitely a thing or has become since the 60s. It's a thing. You do it. You don't do it. You're good at it. You're not good at it. You can be better. 13 secrets to a better sex life. 20 secrets to a better sex life. It, it's a performance and it's degrading. It's a thing you do that is really unworthy of a human being, using each other. And of course, the proof is, after having sex, the common question, how was it? There was no it. You're talking about me. (laughs) There was no it. (laughs) There was just us. There was the sex. How was the sex? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And the very fact that you have to ask, it really is, I don't, I don't know what, it needs a very strong adjective. Mm. You have to ask, where were you? In your own little world, you have no idea what I went through. This is going to bring us together. This separates us. So everything creates a distance and doesn't allow intimacy. Intimacy would mean get past all things, all things. So, for example, you're a little angry at each other. Don't even try to be intimate. Yeah, we'll make up through sex. No, it'll just drive you further apart. You're kind of sleepy. You're not in the mood. You're you're half conscious. Don't do it. It becomes a bad habit of that which is supposed to be intimate becoming, what's the opposite of intimate? Uh, I don't know, whatever. Like a routine almost. Yes. Yeah. So no television in the bedroom. You can't be partially intimate. So you can't be acting intimate, but listening to the the television. Mm. (laughs) I used to say there are three partners in the birth of a child. The father, the mother, and God. But in America, it's the father, the mother, and Johnny Carson. He has more children than anybody in the world. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because if the, if there's a television in the room, it's on. Mm. Can't they can't do that. And no lights. Mm. I think sex went down the tubes when people started leaving the lights on. Mm. How come? Because when the lights are on, you see things. You see things. Mm. Even things about each other. Like, oh, your complexion is not so good today. (laughs) Or you look very good. Well, you can't be intimate with a look. Mm. So anything you see distracts you from the intimacy. So intimacy is a non-thing. We've lost that talent. We think only in terms of things. We judge people by things. And so everybody is whining and crying. Can't you just accept me for who I am? I'd love to, but I have no idea who you am. And you don't know who you am. Because hmm. if I ask you, you can't, you can't answer the question. Who am you? And I will love you as you am. <laughs> but you don't know. Hmm. Because anything you tell me is going to be another thing. Another problem is all the things you love about your wife or husband, you can pay for it and get it without marriage. Anything. Mm -hmm. You want love? You can get love for free from your mother. You want sex? It's not that expensive. I mean, it's it's ugly. But, but, But that's what it is. It's ugly. We're using each other. We're using, and that's abuse. 
I think things like OnlyFans, you know, these platforms and, uh, you know, I mean, there's there are sort of porn platforms, which is a little bit different. But I think things like OnlyFans and even social media to a certain extent allows you to get the impression of connection without the actual, I want to say, threat of what comes along with real intimacy. You know, because real intimacy sort of strips you down and it's not about the the things that you are, as you're saying, it puts who you are on display to be connected with, right? And it puts who the other person is on display, I think, in a very real way. It, you know, it's interesting, Rabbi, because I think in some ways what you're saying is, is very apt and very true. I think uh, th- some of the things that you're saying, I can hear my listeners being like, hmm, I don't know, you know, this sort of like modern day piece around sex and uh, outside of relationships and those types of pieces. And so, yeah, I'm being conscious about that in a degree because I'm not interested in debating on the show. So that's there's that. But B, I what I am curious about is what your faith says about intimacy, about relationships, and some of the maybe some of the stories or one of the central stories from your background that maybe shapes some of these conversations. I think that's fascinating to me because some of the stories that are in the Bible or the Talmud, like they're wildly i mean they're just so rich in context um so i'm wondering if you can just share maybe one that you feel is relative to the conversation that we're having god created the world why if he's god he should he should have left well enough alone (laughs) (laughs) if he's so smart he was the only thing that existed eternally he always was Why is that not good enough? What are you creating a world for? Just to have people complain to you and and dismiss you and and refuse to believe in you? or what, 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 What is that for? What for? So God is perfect by definition, right? Since he's an independent existence, what, what would cause imperfection? Hmm. Nothing makes itself imperfect. So God is perfect. A perfect God creates a world? For what? Answer is, for no thing. God didn't create the world for a what. He created the world for a who. Precisely because there was only him. So the the Bible actually says, God said it is not good to be alone. He was talking about himself. Hmm. That's a marriage. Marriage means I'm already perfect but there's just me. And that is not acceptable. So to solve that, I have to have someone with me who is not me. Mm. There's that crucial little ingredient. Who are you if I take away all the things? Not me. You're not me. Meaning you have your own opinion, your own feelings, your own needs, that's what I want to be married to. And yet, no, that's the part I can't stand. That's that's the hard part most of the time. (laughs) Why can't you be more me? Uh Why can't everything about you be comfortable to me? Why can't you think like me? Why can't you agree with me? Why can't you do for me? Well, then I'm not married to you. I want you to become my shadow, my clone, Mm. Then I'll complain you're boring. <laughs> <laughs> so is it because I, I I think what I hear you saying without saying is that perhaps it's about us consciously choosing, maybe consciously choosing, maybe not, but but looking for the person behind the things that we respect, that we want to be in relationship with, that we actually want to know who they are, like the hard parts as well, the things that we disagree with, the aspects of them that maybe we, you know, don't know how to interact with. Is that is that it? Or how would you phrase that? Yes. Okay. Yes. I want to make you mine. Hmm. You, meaning the parts of you that are not me. Hmm. I don't want to understand them because I may never. 
I probably won't. And I don't want to love them because maybe I don't, but I want it to be mine. Mm. I want your problem to be my problem. If that's not acceptable, then don't even bother. Mm. Right? When people say, how do I know when I'm ready to get married? And you, know, you do a little, a little test. When you look in the mirror in the morning, are you fascinated by what you see? Mm. Then don't get married. You look in the mirror in the morning and say, oh, no, not you again. <laughs> now you're ready to get married. Because mm. marriage means it's not good to be alone. And the only solution to that is to marry a stranger. You're not allowed to marry your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. No, it has to be a stranger. Mm. Why? I already love my sister. Yeah, well, maybe that's why. Yeah. <laughs> no, it has to be a stranger. It has to be someone who, with whom you have very little in common. Now you're marrying someone, hmm. not something. All right, so now, why do we date at all? Pick a list from the singles club and what's the difference? Hmm. Now, the fact is, there are certain things about others that I really can't tolerate. I can't, I can't get comfortable with it. And it may be a very simple, childish thing. I, I, I don't like that freckle. I don't like that pimple. I don't like whatever it is. But if it disturbs you, then you can't go there. So dating means I want to make sure that there is nothing about you that bothers me. Hmm. So I see the freckles. doesn't bother me. It may bother somebody else. doesn't bother me. So that will not get in the way. So dating is really a process of elimination. Do her looks bother you? No. Does her humor, sense of humor bother you? No. Does she have the best in the world? I don't need the best in the world. I need her, but I can't get to her if something about her disturbs me. So when are you ready to marry somebody? When there is nothing about them that you find disturbing. Like this woman who wrote in her list of demands, she doesn't like bald or even balding. She married a guy who's bald. Hmm. And when somebody said, I thought you didn't like bald people, she said, he's bald? <laughs> didn't, didn't even notice. Hmm. So it didn't bother her in reality. You ask her to put together a list, you know. <laughs> so she put everything she could think of, but it didn't really bother her. So if it doesn't bother you, then you've gotten past the things. Now you can marry the person. Mm. And again, why are you marrying? Because there has to be someone in your life besides you. And not a clone. Not a dog. A dog is not someone else. Mm. The dog will do whatever you want. <laughs> well, it's, I think, you know, on the show, I've talked about finding people. I mean, my, my wife in some ways fit, sort of fits this bill, but like f looking for people that are your complementary opposite in some way, it almost sounds like you're saying that, right? Where there isn't, there is an opposition, but it's an opposition that is complementary to you in some ways because it almost what I'm hearing you say is that it, it expands you, but it also puts you into touch with something that's not you in the world, which is almost spiritual in nature. You know, Carl Jung, the great psychologist, said the fastest racehorse to individuation is marriage, which seems an individuation being the process of returning to wholeness, right? So a lot of his context was very spiritual in nature. And so what I almost hearing you say, maybe, and maybe I'm misinterpreting this, is that marriage and that intimacy and that relationships is a spiritual quest at its foundation. Not only spiritual, but godlike. Mm. In other words, because we are created in God's image and he can't stand being alone, we inherit that from him. But it's not a human, it's not a human thing. Mm. Like if you're already perfect. What is wrong? It's not like you can't parallel park or you can't fry an egg. <laughs> so why are you bringing somebody else into your life? There's no answer. There is no rational, logical, practical answer. But it's horrible to not do it. 
it's divine, not just spiritual. Spiritual can be evil. Hmm. You know, there have been some very spiritual people who are very not nice. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. So it's a godly thing or a sacred thing. Hmm. The sanctity of marriage is missing and it's it's not good. Yeah, it's interesting. On one of the recent shows, I talked about how young men under the age of 30 are more than ever, more than, I mean, since maybe since we started recording this data, are living at home with their parents. So more men are living at home with their parents than they are in relationship. And less men are in relationships or sexually active under the age of 30. And so, you know, it does seem to be this very real uh, collective issue that a lot of people are facing in in the loneliness department where they don't know how to be in relationship with other people or they don't want to bother or it seems not even a, a worthy endeavor you know so what what do you say to that do you do you feel like that's a cultural thing that has started to emerge in in the west yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts on that i go back to the 60s eventually i don't know how long it took but sex lost its appeal. Hmm. <laughs> we'll play on words yeah, good, good play on words, yeah. People are just not interested in sex anymore. Why do you think that the free love movement, however we want to phrase that, why do you, why do you think that the, the byproduct of that was the extraction of real intimacy from, from sex or from relationships? Well, that, that was its purpose. We're taking sex way too seriously there's too much, too much guilt, too much taboo. You know, just relax and enjoy. It doesn't mean you're getting married. It doesn't mean you're making a commitment for the rest of your life. Don't make it so heavy. It's fun. It's natural. Enjoy. But, you know, Jackie Mason has this routine. He says, uh, he goes to California and people are sitting around in the cafes as if they're not employed. And he, ask, he asks them, don't you have a job? They say, yes, we are producers. We're deciding on where to put the sex scene in the next movie. So he says, why, do you, why does every movie have to have a sex scene? And they say, because the movie is a depiction of life. And in life, people have sex. He says, yeah, but they also have soup. Why don't I see soup in every movie? <laughs> <laughs> in fact, he says, more people have soup than sex. Nobody says, I have a headache, no soup. It's a funny routine, but it's so wise. Mm. Today, there is no difference between soup and sex. You had enough soup, you're not interested anymore. You had enough sex. See, once you take the intimacy out of it, you no longer need it. This is another shocking idea. Sex is not a human need. It's a pleasure. And we need pleasure. But chocolate is a pleasure. You need chocolate. If you're desperate and have no other pleasure in life, <laughs> you know, when you're feeling neglected and whatever, then you eat yourself into a fit. So actually, sex is not a need. It's the pursuit of pleasure. And that's why you never have enough. Anything you can't have enough of is because you don't need it. Because a need can be satisfied. Nobody ever said, okay, enough pleasure. I can't, I, I don't, can't take any more pleasure. So sex is not a need. Eventually, it gets boring, hmm. tedious. The statistics recently, the average couple have sex once a month, maybe. Once a month, you sleep in the same bed, and once a month, you feel like having intimacy. Something's very wrong. They also found in a recent statistic that love is not the ingredient that keeps a couple together. The ingredient, surprisingly, respect. Couples who respect each other stay together. Mm -hmm. Lose the respect and it's all over. Here's, here's really the sad thing. When you don't respect each other, the sex becomes the weapon with which you destroy each other. Mm. Either you're no good at it, I don't enjoy it with you, or you're an animal. Mm. All you want is sex. It's disgusting. So, whoa, whoa, hey, <laughs> hey. We used to be animals together. <laughs> mm. All of a sudden, I'm the animal. So eventually, it, it's used against each other. 
So this is how a society becomes extinct. You separate sex from intimacy or from reproduction, and eventually you just don't care. You're not interested. To the average man, 30, and they're 30-somethings, the thought of starting a sexual relationship with another woman, give me a break. I'm never going to admit that, of course. But ugh, the thought mm. is distasteful. I don't want this. But like a religion, you have to do it anyway. Yeah. Well, I do think that it's become, you know, I do hear a lot of men talking about how challenging it is to start relationships, to find a relationship. And, you know, with. And sex doesn't make it better. Yeah. <laughs> but that was artificial. As long as it was a conquest, mm. it was interesting. Mm -hmm. It's not a conquest anymore. It's two lonely people mm -hmm. thinking, what can we do tonight? Mm. Yeah, let's have sex. Netflix and chill. That's the that's the new one. Let me let me put it this way. In terms of not psychology but society. A guy is in his 50s. His wife is in her 50s. He comes home one day and he tells his wife, "We just hired a new secretary at work. She is gorgeous." Did he say anything wrong? I asked a group of women, "Is there anything wrong with that?" <gasps> oh, he shouldn't have said that. Or he shouldn't have said it. He should just think it. No, no, no. He shouldn't have noticed how gorgeous she was. He shouldn't have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look. That's the problem? Yeah. No, the real problem is his wife has been living with anxiety and with uncertainty all her married life. This is cruel and unusual punishment. She's in her 50s and she has to compete with a 22-year-old every year, every day, Every time he walks out of the house, mm. she doesn't know what's going to happen. So she has to have a lot of plastic surgery, and she has to wear mini skirts, and they don't look good on her. Mm. What are you doing to her? Mm. And now it works the other way, too? Definitely. The wife comes home and says, my tennis uh, instructor is really cute. That's it. You can't sleep. So what are you supposed to do? So it gets nasty. So living with this uncertainty, in, you can't do that to people. Mm -hmm. So the lifestyle in this social setup is destructive. It's cruel. Now, how should it be? How can a guy come home and say, we just hired a gorgeous secretary? And the wife's, oh, good. Good for the business. And it doesn't, it doesn't make her uncomfortable at all. How is that? How do we get there? If she feels that he is married to her, and not to something about her, then she's not competing with anybody. Mm. No intelligent human being is jealous of someone else's children because the other person's children are cuter than your own. Not threatened by it. These are my children. Your children are yours, and good luck to you. Mm. But where's the competition? Competition only exists if we're focused on things. Yeah, I mean, I think when we're in the realm of things, we're in the realm of objects, and we're in the realm of comparing those objects to make sure that we have the best object or have the best thing, um, which I, you know, I think is, I, I think a huge aspect of what you're saying is incredibly relevant and important, I think, for modern couples, because we do have a tendency within Western culture to unintentionally objectify our partner, whether we, as you've said, turn them into the object of love, the object of sex, the object of getting validation and, and praise from someone else, uh, et cetera. I mean, we could just fill in the blank ad nauseum, but I do think that that is an incredibly important aspect to be aware of, you know, what you're trying to extract from the other person that might be blocking you from connecting to and seeing who they really actually are. And yeah. You're not there for them. Uh -huh. You're there for yourself mm -hmm. and what you can get from them. It's narcissism, really, mm -hmm. the heart of it. Me, me, me. But here's another thing. Marriage means male and female energies coming back together the way nature, our natural condition was at creation. Now, if the separation is unnatural, then what would it take to become one again? You look mm -hmm. at the description of creation in the Bible. God created the first human being 
called Adam, and this being was male and female, like two sides of the coin. One side was male and one side was female. Then God performed an operation, separated the two of them, and made them into independent individual beings. Then immediately after doing that, God says, Therefore shall you leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife and become one. Hmm. In other words, the objective of marriage is to become one. Why do you need to become one? Because that's your true nature. You were created as one. Hmm. The separation is unnatural. So what, what happened here? God creates them as one, separates them. Okay, now what's their nature? To be one or to be separate? Obviously, to be one. We think that the separation was an improvement because yeah, half male, half female, what the heck is that? Yeah. So when the operation was complete, now we're, now we're normal. No, no, we're no longer normal because it's not complete to be only male or only female. Mm -hmm. So marriage means get back together, not get together. That's like loneliness can be solved by getting together. Mm. Aloneness, meaning separate from the other gender, the only way to fix that is by marriage. Mm. Get the separation out of the way. Mm. You don't need to do anything to be one. You are one by nature, but something has come between you. Get that thing or many things out of the way, and you will be one, like two drops of water on the table, right next to each other. Why are there two drops? They should be flowing. Surface tension is keeping them separated. You break that tension, of course they're going to become one. So marriage means a reunion. Everything else is a union, which can be good. It does not take away the aloneness. Hmm. Even Jew and non-Jew are different souls. The beautiful thing about it is they were one, very much one. And God separates them and tells them to become one. What was the point of that? Here's the beauty of it. They were one, inseparable, but back to back. They shared a spine, not a rib. Hmm which means they never saw each other. Couldn't live without each other, but they never saw each other. When God separated them and said, get back together through marriage, now they're together face to face. That's intimacy. Mm -hmm. Any other togetherness, we're together because we have kids, we're together because we have a bank account, we're together because I, I can't function without you, now, that's back-to-back. -back. Mm. The way it should be is face-to-face. Face-to-face means I see you, I understand you, and I want you. When things get in the way, the best we can do is have a back-to-back -back relationship. Mm. And I think this is also an important. The physical intimacy between a man and a woman is no longer face-to-face. -face. We don't even want to look at each other. We don't even want that intimacy. Let's keep it objective. And then we wonder why we're growing apart. Shouldn't we be growing closer? No, you don't get closer when you turn your back on someone. So anyone who wants to regain the intimacy or at least discover intimacy, bring the sanctity back to, to sexuality. You know, people are saying, you know, the Me Too movement, they say men don't respect women. It's terrible. Men have no respect for women. As soon as they have a little bit of power, they're going to abuse it and abuse women because they have no respect for women. I think we have more respect for women now than ever before. And it doesn't seem to make much of a difference because what's really lacking is respect for intimacy. We have no respect for intimacy. Mm. So you want to reach out and just touch a woman, you know, just for fun. Why not? You want to you wanna take some liberties? Why not? It's all fun. Didn't we decide that back in the 60s? So all these men who are accused of, of molesting women or abusing women, I'm not talking about the violent ones. 
You say, don't you have respect for women? I say, yeah. I have no respect for intimacy. Mm. So I was just playing. I was just being friendly. No, you crossed a line. What line? We removed lines in the 60s. So it's not men against women. It's men and women against the holiness of intimacy. Mm. And we need it back because intimacy is a real human need. So bring back the intimacy. Bring back the sanctity. Stop, stop treating each other with disrespect. You've got to maintain a little dignity out of respect for each other, at least as much respect as the delivery guy. Mm. Then make sure that the bedroom is a sacred space. No television, no computer, no desk. People actually have a desk to finish work. No, you don't do work in a bedroom. A bedroom is a place for us, mm. a no-thing zone. If you ask your grandmother, what happens in the bedroom? Very likely your grandmother said, nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you don't want to tell me? I'm telling you. In a bedroom, no thing. So what are they doing? What are they doing? It's just them with nothing between them. Mm. It's yeah, I feel, like that's, I feel like that's a good place for us to to pause our conversation um so we've uh, hopefully i haven't got you run over too late or too long but i was just enjoying the this part of the conversation so yeah I, I really i like that you know there's nothing between them and that that's intimacy and i feel like that's really at the core of the essence of what you're saying and and so if people are you know if you're listening to this and you're wanting to learn a little bit more then definitely go check out the rabbi's book the joy of intimacy That'd be a great place to to begin. And for everyone that's out there listening, Rabbi, where where can they learn more about you? Where do you think that they should go to follow along on, on your, your words, your wisdom, and, and what you're putting out? It's good to know. Dot org. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> we'll have the links for that in the show notes. Or Amazon. Or Amazon, yeah. Wonderful. Well, uh, Rabbi Friedman, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. I appreciate you being here for, for your wisdom and for this conversation. And for everyone that's out there listening, if you enjoyed this, if you know somebody that would benefit from listening to it, which I'm sure you do, then don't forget to share this episode with, with somebody that you think will enjoy this conversation and digging into this. So until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. 